privilege to just be with y'all this morning. I um, absolutely love Midtown. I remember we came uh, right uh, Juneteenth a couple of years ago and just have never looked back since. Um, we absolutely love this church and uh, are so thankful to be a part of this family. And so we have the privilege every now and then to share and to, and to talk and to speak. And um, so this is, I think, my third time doing so. So I'm not going to get too deep into like introductions. Y'all know who I am for the most part. You know who my wife is. You know my son is destined to break something in this building at some point in time. Um, and my daughter is so cute and so beautiful, but she will look at all of you like she hates you. And uh, that just is what it is, okay? Um, but uh, I, as you probably know, uh, people, where I'm from, we like to inform you constantly just in case there's a question of where we're from. Uh, you know that this is how native Texans are. We just are finding a reason to tell you I am from Texas. Um, and so I found that reason today in the introduction because I, uh, I want to I talk about, before I get into the, and I promise I'm going to get to the Bible and what we're talking about today, but I want to talk to you about uh, someone who's very important in my family. I love my mom. I love my, uh, my sisters, uh, but my granny is, she's absolutely amazing. She's born and bred Texan through and through, little small cement town called Midlothian, south of Fort Worth. And uh, honestly, um, she has one of the most Texan granny names you can imagine, Vanita. Uh, I don't know that it gets more granny Texan than that. And... Uh, Honestly, she was not always a part of my family. My mom actually grew up in an abusive home. Uh, she was, in all fashions, abused by her father. And when she was 16, she decided to run away and left. And she was working for Vanita in an old skating rink in Dallas-Fort Worth. And um, just, you know, if you're used to or familiar with um, displaced uh, teenagers and kids, you know that at that age, you're more than likely not going into a home and uh, your chances are slim. And Vanita just saw my mom, loved on her, appreciated her, and wanted to invite her into her family. And so I will say, considering the abuses, the physical abuses, the sexual abuses, the drug abuses that were rampant in my mom's side of the family, um, and transitioning that into the wisdom and the, the love and the prudence that my granny offered, uh, my life trajectory completely changed because of her. And so I will always appreciate and love my granny, and she loves me and my sisters, all right, and uh, a lot. I am the first grandson, and so that's important to note, not for y'all, um, just if my sisters watch this, they can be consistently reminded of who the favorite is. And uh, Granny loves her grandchildren, especially her first grandson, and, I mean, absolutely loves us. She is amazing. She will do anything for us. She is just, she has made our life so special and so, so much fun. And that's the side. That's like the sweet side of Vanita. She will love on you. She will say, bless your heart if you're doing something. And then she will also maybe slap you in the same moment um, because she will protect her grandkids at all costs. Um, she will ensure that we are loved by her 
and given whatever we need and want from other people as well. And I remember there was a time when I was a kid, uh, we were pulling into a Burger King. And I, I mean, I ordered a kid's meal that I can't remember if it's like chicken or burger. It was probably both considering my lifestyle habit choices. And I remember, you know, it, kids meals, they always have some like marketing attached to it, right? There's always some like movie that's coming out. And so the toys are attached to that movie or the new show. And I've got to be honest with y'all, I kind of hate talking to you about shows. Like, have you heard of this show or this movie or song? Because considerably, I would put myself in the senior category of this church. So I just like, I don't really know if you're going to know what I'm talking about. Uh, so we don't have a senior ministry, but I feel like if we did, I would be a part of it. And honestly, I don't know if y'all, I hate doing this. If you ever heard of the movie Small Soldiers? Um, okay, thank you. I think a lot of you are lying to me, but I appreciate you. And it's this movie where, like, it was a bunch of, like, toy soldiers trapped. No, it's not the Toy Story. It's not. But it's this, like, toy soldiers trapped in this toy store, and they are, like, battling each other, and it takes out. The, and I think Kirsten Dunst was, like, a kid when this movie came out because she was in it. And uh, honestly, I just loved it because I was just a young boy that grew up in a Marine home. My mom was a Marine for 16 years. And honestly, I loved anything to do with action figures and soldiers. I just, I mean, I saw dudes in Hummers and, and I was in hangars all the time and saw tanks. And so I like loved that. So I needed these toys alongside my wrestling action figures and things like that, right? So I was so excited to go to Burger King, get this kid's meal, obviously eat the food too. And Granny, she takes me and my sister Miranda in. And me and Miranda are a year apart. And so we're, uh, we're going through the drive-thru. <laughs> we order the food, get the toy. Well, at least we thought we had the toy. Because I open my bag, confirming my food is there. And I notice that there are no toys. And <laughs> I tell Granny, Granny, I don't, I don't have my toy. <laughs> Slams the brakes and literally pulls right back into the parking lot, right in front of the door, swings the door open. I can hear the asphalt suffering from her stomps as she walks in, swings the door open. I'm telling you, I can actually visualize this. I remember this day so well. I mean, I thought the door was going to break. She swung it so hard. And I looked at my sister. We're like so confused what was going on. Our sweet, loving granny just turned into a Texas monster. And literally, uh, I mean, moments later, I have no clue what was said. We don't talk about this story. I have no clue what was said in that building. But when we walked out, uh, or when she walked out, uh, I got my toy. <laughs> and more, all right? Um, I mean, how dare Burger King? with its evil injustice come down on this little child and make him not have his toy. The robbery, right? Um, <laughs> I wonder sometimes what those Burger King employees are doing with their life now. I just, I wonder. But that is like a silly, very small, honestly insignificant joking of an injustice that was brought down on me, right? At the end of the day, that's really not injustice, but really when I think about it and I talk about it and find a reason to just remind you I'm from Texas again, and I look at this story and this minor prophet 
I can't help but think of maybe some of the posture and some of the connection that this prophet has with the actual injustices that he's seeing with his own eyes in his time. Again, by no means does this reflect an actual story of injustice. And actual injustices that we face. You think about like in Kansas City, and I could talk, I can honestly spend this whole time talking about the ones we see, right? I could spend this whole time, there's so many. We could talk about different injustices in different neighborhoods and all those things. We could go on and on and on about it. But we think about like mass shootings in Kansas City that we've just seen recently, Right? We think about a recent shooting in Midtown. We think about displacement and homelessness that we constantly see across the city and its suburban areas, right? Evil, violence, pure disregard for humanity are all injustices that we are regularly faced within our city. There's actually real, tender, sensitive issues of humanity that are tossed back and forth. We're about to see it to the max soon between political powers and people that are more concerned with winning than they are like serving and loving. It's a burden that is seemingly never ending, just keeps going on. I mean, it's just quite literally why I will almost always, I've done it the three times now that I've spoken here, I will always talk about homelessness because it just seems to not stop. A burden which the writer of this book we are going over today is very familiar with. Often pronounced Habakkuk, (laughs) as I pronounced it when I first ever saw it, um, is actually pronounced Habakkuk. Uh, He's the writer, he's the prophet, the minor prophet that we're talking about today. And he lived during the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom. You'll see today injustice and idolatry as the central issues, the central themes of what he's talking about um, in in this kingdom of Israel. An interesting difference between Habakkuk and some of the other minor prophets is the way he addresses these issues of injustice and idolatry. It wasn't in solidarity of the people or with the people. It wasn't in protest of those delivering the injustice, but it was actually directly to God. It is this form of lament, if you will. Actually, Elizabeth Ackmeyer writes, Habakkuk therefore turns to the only source he knows for setting things right. He turns to God in prayer, constant prayer. This posture of lament that we talked about at Midtown, grief, sorrow, mourning, he's in fact attempting to draw God's attention to the injustices going on in Israel's southern kingdom. And he deeply wrestled with unjust violence. He also deeply wrestled with God's response. And I'm telling you, like preparing this message, if I just got to be very vulnerable and honest with all of you, I struggled with this. I struggled when reading this. I struggled when putting it together. I wrestled deeply with even teaching this because there were points in time this message where I feel like I was reading about a God that I didn't necessarily love. I felt like there, and I'm just, I want to be vulnerable with y'all. There were times that I felt like I was reading about a God that I didn't think was consistent with the God that I've heard of before. It was a troubling message for me to really wrestle with, but I did. And I think as we navigate this, at least in the beginning, I really believe that a lot of you are going to wrestle with it in the same. There's going to be some things that I say in the beginning that aren't going to feel very familiar about the God we know and love. 
about the God that tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. But I promise you, just like Habakkuk realized, just like I realized as I continue to read through the text and wrestle with it, a couple rock bottoms, a couple people's elbows, if you will, telling you, you're really going to see what God has in store for not only these people, but for us and a consistent God. And how this happens is this conversation, it's built into two complaints that Habakkuk has, and there's two responses to those complaints. One of those complaints is about the people that he's actually with, and then the second one is a complaint about the response that God gives him from the first response, or the first complaint, right? And then in the end, we're going to see this prayer. And I promise you, that's where it's going to click. So wrestle with me, fight with me on this one. We're going to get through this, and it's going to be really, really good, okay? So the first complaint that we see is the violence of Judah. This, is in, this takes place in the chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. But this, popula- this population in Israel has no interest in the Bible. Or for their time, you have to remember for any of the like, people that are new to this or the people that have historically read on this, this is a time where the Torah was really the Bible, the first five books of the Bible. So they didn't have this huge book that we have, including Jesus' text and those things, right? They really had the first five books of the Bible. Essentially, they've never seen Evan Almighty. They've never seen the prince of Egypt. They didn't have the technological advances that we had, right? In more specific terms, this community has no interest in understanding who God is, God's redemptive power, God's forgiveness, God's plan, and God's position on the poor and disadvantaged. These are all quite literally the themes of the first five books of the Bible. They want nothing to do with following God. And I want to be clear that this book isn't necessarily about just injustice in general. You're going to hear that word a lot today. But it is a central theme because it's injustice that was had and was a result of people simply not following God. Of people simply neglecting God in these themes that we just mentioned. Habakkuk specifically says in verses 2 through 4, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. He's asking God, and I want to be clear, because I think sometimes in Almost all of us have experienced this in life where we're asking God, where are you? God, why aren't you doing anything? And that may have come from a place of just not knowing who God is. I want to be very clear. This is someone who knows God. This is someone who follows God. This is someone who believes in God. This is someone who has the answers. And in a little bit of a way, is challenging God, is impatient, and really just wants to see God come through. And that's important in understanding where this is coming from. Because do you ever ask these questions to God? God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? Do you ever see the latest story of violence in Kansas City and think to yourself, God, where are you? Do you ever see the deaths that result from these violences and think, God, why aren't you doing anything? Because God, I know you. Like this is, I hear what Alex and Cassie and the team are teaching 
I, I see what I'm reading at home. I see what and hear what we're talking about in microchurch. I know who you are. But why is this going on? If, if, this is, if we're your creation, if, you, if you're the lover of justice, why is there so much injustice? Right? This is the very state of mind that Habakkuk is in. Or Habakkuk, I said it wrong already. Believing in God, but doesn't see a lot of people loving God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And loving others as themselves. And God has this response of unbelievable work. And I'm just telling you, I, I, you're... When I say unbelievable work, that sounds like grand and amazing and awesome. But when I read this, I quite literally mean like a work that you may not believe in, to be honest. And this happens in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. But particularly in verse 5, God's response is, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. This work isn't very um, comforting. It's not very positive either. God's response is more like that of a final battle scene in Avengers, but not the one that you're thinking about, right? Starts off and Captain America's by himself and straps that vibranium shield, right? The music starting to play. That would be amazing to play right now, by the way. Um, I just watch that scene sometimes if I have a short time. <laughs> oh. All of the Avengers armies are coming behind Captain America. It's not that army that I'm talking about. Not the good guys. I'm talking about the one led by the big purple-headed guy, Thanos, right? It looks a lot like Thanos' army that God is talking about here. Honestly, and you'll see this, God tells Habakkuk that he sees the injustice in Israel but he plans on bringing down that injustice by using the notoriously evil Babylonian empire to destroy them. I want to be strategic with those words that I just mentioned to you. Because this is at least how Habakkuk is hearing it. This is at least how I'm hearing it. That God is using this army. It's almost like God's will almost is what it sounds like when you read through this. God describes Babylon as a bitter and hasty nation in verse 6, dreaded and fearsome in verse 7, fierce and devouring in verse 8, violent in verse 9. And I've got to admit, I struggled when reading this. I just really did. I struggled when preparing this. I wrestled with the thought of even teaching it. If I can be honest, it felt like a cosign with violence. It felt like an alignment with vengeance. It felt like an agreement with a God that is inconsistent with the God that I've come to know. I struggled immensely with this representation of God. In this next set of verses, we even see Habakkuk's own tussle with God's plan to bring down this evil empire of Judah, almost seemingly using Babylon, another more evil empire. And like Habakkuk, like myself, you may wrestle with this idea of God as well. And then we see his second complaint, which is the violence of Babylon. In verse 112, he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? He's saying, God, is that, is that really you that I hear? He reminds God of his purity, his opposition to wrongdoing, and even challenges God for being silent and idle. 
He continues in verse 14 through 16 by describing Babylon as a people that violate the least of these, treating them like animals and building a rich empire at the expense of lesser nations. Is this you, God? Is this you, God, using an evil nation as your instrument for justice? That's what he's wrestling with. As I read this, I'm asking, is this you, God, the lover of justice? The God that tells me to live by the fruits of the Spirit? The Father of the Son that tells me to love my neighbor as myself? And even more, Habakkuk is so eager for God to enact justice that he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He's essentially saying, come on, God, explain your actions. Because this is unbelievable work, I, I, can't, I can't believe this. I'll wait, though. Remember, that I'll wait is important because Habakkuk's already impatient anyway right now. He was, this is what started the complaint. And God's response, while I challenged him to an unbelievable work and seeing that, he challenged him to have like an unshakable faith. A faith that lives for 26 years without winning a Super Bowl just to say, we're going to do it this year, every year. Right? An unshakable faith. In verse, verses 2 through 4 of chapter 2, says, And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. I got to be honest with you, I had a vision of like this sandal wearing, like robe wearing guy in this time, actually like with one of these tablets. <laughs> like, like I had this like momentous vision of that and I could not escape it. And I wanted to invite you all into that. He's got his ear pods in. All right. So he may run. <laughs> Who reads it? For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. A faith that cannot be shaken. God gives him a vision for him to note so that future generations can read and remember. So that with you and I may have faith when our nation, when our city may be marked with injustice. When our city or nation looks like the nation of Babylon even. It's not necessarily that God is calling this evil empire to do violence. It's not that. It's not that God is co-signing on their unjust behavior. God actually reveals Babylon's own demise. Uh, if you read the English Standard Version, which is what I've been pulling these scriptures from, it actually titles this section as Woe to the Chaldeans. If you look at commentaries, they'll describe this as the five woes of Babylon. And God reveals this to Habakkuk. And woe number one and two are actually split between verses six through eight and then nine through 11. And that first one, the first two, if you will, are unjust economics. I'm actually not going to read through the verses. Um, I'm just going to highlight what these woes are, and I'm going to give you a description 
of what God is talking about in these verses. He's talking about heavy debts, heavy taxation, violence, war, and oppression that were prevalent within this evil nation. Power and wealth were built by robbing and oppressing the poor. Unjust economics. To be quite clear, and we could talk about this in depth in another time, but like that's our idea of justice in this church. When we define justice, we are talking about an equitable Kansas City. The third piece is slave labor. This is found in verses 12 through 14, and he's describing infrastructure that was considerable in their time. Babylon had a lot of solid and consistent infrastructure, but buildings and services were offered at the hands of forced labor. Yes, there were advancements and all those things, but there were people suffering at the cost of those advancements. The fourth woe that we see is abuse of alcohol by irresponsible leaders. And this is, I want to be clear here, and this is going to sound like a message that has something to do with alcohol and do what you want with that. But the leaders of their day would actually humiliate and violate people. And this was all of a result of their carelessness with alcohol. Okay, so I want to be clear about the action that I'm talking about here. Humiliation, violating people, and they just were a rampant society that just didn't care. And the fifth woe, idolatry. Money, power, national security, that was their God. Unwavering allegiance to their nation regardless of its behavior, that just was what they did. You see, it's not actually about what God is doing to Judah or, as you can see and read on, what God is going to do to Babylon as well, but what Judah is doing to itself. I read Proverbs 16 this morning, actually, and I threw this in here. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. It's not that God is is partnering with Babylon. This is almost something that Judah is inviting onto itself. See, God is going to enact justice for those that have suffered at the hands of oppression. But Judah is merely sowing injustice and reaping injustice. With the backache in mind, Paul actually writes this important phrases in Romans 1, 19 through 28. And I'm not actually reading the whole piece of this. I'm reading these important phrases that are going to help us understand this. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. Remember, the first five books of the Bible were available to them. They could have seen how this all plays out. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God didn't need to create this. God didn't need to actually do this. This destruction, this demise of Judah, their own desires led them down a path that didn't include God's protection. And this is where Habakkuk sees the unbelievable work. This is where Habakkuk gains unshakable faith. I actually want to invite the worship team to come up. 
Not only because I think this is like a perfect time, but quite literally because I think the Bible was telling me to. Um, If you look at the end of chapter three, uh, it literally says on the bottom, to the choir master with string instruments. So Christina, I'm gonna start calling you the choir master. (laughs) If you don't like it, we can pray about it. I just think it fits. And all you who play with the stringed instruments, I can't make it up. It was, it's seriously there. Um, when reading Habakkuk's prayer, I was encouraged by two things we can do. We were, we are burdened by the injustice that is present in our nation, in our city. When we can't help but see glimpses of Judah and Babylon and its five woes in our own home, in our own backyard. And the first one, is to set your eyes on what God has done. Set your eyes on what God has done. Chapter three, verse two, you see this shift. Habakkuk says, oh Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. Oh Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. And all this violent stuff that's going on, remember mercy. Remember a part of Habakkuk's first complaint was Israel's neglect of God's word of their time. The neglect of those first five books. And Habakkuk actually recalls when God freed his people from the grip of injustice delivered by Pharaoh's Egyptian empire. If you've never read it, watch The Prince of Egypt first. It'll give you a nice good glimpse. (laughs) This happens in verses 8 through 15 of chapter 3. And to be honest, I don't don't know that I actually gave this for the screens. I'm not going to read this portion. But it was here as I realized and I saw... And I remembered this wrathful moment almost between God and Pharaoh and Egypt. It was done after repeated attempts for Pharaoh to understand, Pharaoh to turn and have a chance to love these people and free them. And yes, the raging seas and all that stuff coming down on the Egyptian empire. The moral of the story actually has to do with a people being free, a people that were injustice, the people that were oppressed being free from those grips. Injustice that was sown and was reaped on Egypt. It was here that my wrestling, it turned to resting. Lord knows I needed a break. I couldn't wrestle that long. (laughs) Resting, remembering, setting my eyes on the fact that God did not bring down the Egyptians because he's an evil God that takes joy in violence, but because he is a lover of justice that merely saw to it that an oppressed people were set free from the grips of an evil empire. 
that refused to seize on its own, that created its own demise and destruction. Even circling back to verses, verse 1, 13, in the beginning, Habakkuk says, you who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. God does not merely care about justice. God is just. God is justice. It's a part of God's being and existence. God is undeniably just. We just got done singing. It's just like you to turn it all around. All around for good, like only you could, like only you would. You turn it all around for good. My heart found peace in knowing that I serve a God that will unapologetically always be on the side of the poor and the oppressed. A God that will see justice fulfilled at all costs. And the second way that we can practice this, what we can do with this text, when we see these injustices right in our face, not only look back into what God has done, but to find joy in what God is going to do. I actually want y'all to stand for a second as I read this verse, and we're gonna practice something that we practiced in recent weeks. It says in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. If I can ask y'all to take this posture, this ancient posture that we've been invited to with our hands out and just eyes closed, because I want you to envision yourself. Like, I'm, I'm just gonna be blunt with you. I want you to look at yourself, look at your life, look at where you've been, not only just here in Kansas City, but here at Midtown Church and the experiences that you've had, your experiences with God, the things that you're passionate about, the things that you love to do on behalf of humanity and people. Because you're about to hear some things that maybe you've involved yourself with, that you've wondered about. Remain open with me in this moment. And whatever God is speaking to you, please just allow that to, allow yourself to receive that. Habakkuk's heart is burdened and broken, but it, it is moved and redirected to the joy and the hope that God has enacted justice before and is going to continue doing so in the future. Jesus even declares in John 5, 17, my father is working still I am working. And this is where I hope you might see yourself. You see that God is working still and that you are working. While the violence in Kansas City continues to rise, I find joy that God burdened the heart of a young new couple in Springfield, Missouri to reveal the kingdom of Jesus to our city. God the Father is working in Kansas City still. And so are the leaders of this church. This is gonna seem far off, but bear with me. While the Congo continues to suffer from residue of its past colonization, I find joy that God has orchestrated a relationship 
between Midtown and a nonprofit that loves and serves Congolese people that have either suffered from said injustice or have heard the stories of family members who suffered in the era of Leopold. God the Father is working from Congo to the Kansas City still. And so are all of you who partner with Agape Promotion. While I'm broken by this city's neglect of public schools and the next generation of God's creation in Kansas City, I find joy that there are people in this church that God has strategically placed in said schools. God the Father is working in Kansas City public schools. So are all of you who work or serve in these schools. And while I hear discouraging stories of injustice on the local news, the radio, social media, I find joy that there are small communities of micro churches meeting every week across Kansas City, growing together, building community, and looking, looking to God so that we can reveal the kingdom of Jesus together in Kansas City. God, the Father, is working in Kansas City still. And so are all of you that are loving your neighbor as yourself within your micro church. listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.